Welcome to the Enterprise Excellence Podcast, where our purpose is to help create a better future. Learn from our world's experts how to improve your organization sustainably. Learn how to achieve and sustain an excellence journey for yourself, others, and the planet. I'm your host, Brad Jennings, coming to you from Brisbane, Australia. Welcome to episode 46 of the Enterprise Excellence Podcast. It is such a pleasure to have Dr. Peter Hines back on the show with us today. Peter rightfully was our first guest on the podcast ever. Peter has dedicated his career to researching and writing on how organizations do and can achieve sustainable journeys of excellence. Peter has recently been working on what he calls the people value stream. Today's episode is focused on this new area of work and I'm looking forward to learning more. Let's get into the episode. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thanks very much, Brad. Nice to be uh, back and uh, nice to uh, see you again. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Really looking forward to this chat today, Peter, on this topic. It's such a key one. Like, Peter, let's get straight into it. Like, why have you been focusing on the role of people and lean? Like, what's led you down this path? Well, I, I suppose that's, that's a fairly long story, but to be reasonably brief on it, um, I suppose um, in the early 2000s, I realized that a lot of lean wasn't really creating sustainability in, in companies. And uh, I started looking at what some of the reasons for that were. And at the end of the day, it was really all people related things. So technically related things that we can easily teach and replicate seem to work pretty well. But things around the people were not something that you can easily teach. And hence, the companies that were succeeding were people who had natural leaders or leaders that had learned how to do this. So so hence the the reason for the, the people came at at that sort of stage. So I I started, I I suppose, at that time and then really focused on this sustainability and now, you know, increasingly looking at, uh, you know, the the flows and people and what we need to do to create this sort of uh, sustainable uh, lean process. Wow. Okay. So a lot of your research, Peter, led you to this place that the people play such a factor in in leadership. Like what's your view Peter, on the success or otherwise of human resource management in this piece so if we're talking people we're talking a lot about human resource and human resource management what's your thoughts on that topic yeah well i i think um unfortunately looking at it from outside and i'm not you know an hr professional so um this might be seen differently if you were an hr professional is is i i think the whole hrm thing has largely failed um so if you think about the evolution back in the sort of 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, we maybe talked about the personnel department, which was very much seen as a clerical, you, you know, payroll and industrial relations, you know, things like that. Not from a lean point of view, necessary, very value adding, et cetera, but necessary or waste, et cetera. Um, and then we sort of got this HR movement, sort of 70s, 80s and, and, and so forth. And. And within that, the, the model that probably about half companies have, have, have followed or, or to some degree followed is the so-called Ulrich stool. And, and that basically has uh, three elements, three-legged stool. Um, so one is, you know, the back office stuff. So that, that sort of transactional stuff like payroll and, 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 and expenses and things like that that has to be done. And largely that was... Um, uh, automated or outsourced, you know, often to sort of India or places like that. In other words, they went for cheap and often um, uh, quite a lot of IT 
uh, was involved. So quite a lot of money was spent in this area. So that became quite efficient, not necessarily very effective, because often if you had a problem with that, it was almost impossible to solve it, you know, etc. Yeah. And then the other two legs uh, of the stool. So, so one of those was the sort of um, uh, strategic role. Um, which which was sort of a being on the the board and you know advising from a people perspective, and and the problem with that that one really I think didn't didn't work um, because the third leg was then the, the the business partners and the business partners were then sort of working in in the business. The problem with that is that resources got sucked away from that and and cost cost cutting, so that the, the HR couldn't really do the job of supporting the line. And, and, and hence, what they did is they delegated uh, a lot of the, the things that HR used to do, the looking after the people, you know, someone in HR to go and chat to, to the line. The problem is the line didn't really have the skills to do this. They didn't have the time. They didn't see it was their job. Why are we paying HR? So this sort of supporting people, this coaching, this development, this um, I've got a problem, someone to talk to fell between the cracks so the result of that that the, the other leg the strategic one is they didn't really have the credibility and and many hr professionals unfortunately don't have a rounding outside of hr so when they started talking about you know turnover and they started talking about return on investment they were lost so hence the credibility of hr went down and down and down which meant that the strategic role became an almost nothing so you know, that might be seeing it in a rather negative way, but fundamentally, I believe the whole HRM thing has has not really succeeded, which which often means that this whole support for people that, that we're looking at here has gone backwards, not forwards during the sort of last 20 or 30 years. So that's my sort of thoughts yeah. on that one. It's insightful, yeah. Peter, because I've, I've seen it myself where, you know, people get lost in the crack between is it the frontline leadership that own that or is it HR that own that? And each is doing the part of job they can do, but it, it can get lost. It can be completely broken, can't it, in that yeah. regard? But the other thing is that, um, I mean, a personal experience of HR having low credibility is, is we did some work um, probably about 12 years ago in uh, in Cardiff University, where, where I was at the time, um, doing lean inside the university. And we worked with the HR uh, people, the HR department. And um, what, what we were trying to do was trying to improve some of their processes. And we were looking at staff recruitment, you know, recruiting a research assistant or something like that. And we found that this typically took sort of three to six months. It took a huge amount of time, wow. a huge amount of it was very you know very inefficient etc so we looked at it and we mapped it out and, and what we found was there were huge delays like you would on any sort of mapping and when we went down and looked at the root cause we found the root cause wasn't really hr at all it was basically the people wanting the recruit and because they had low credibility of hr they didn't give them the right information so HR were very inefficient and kept coming back, et cetera, because they were not really told the spec for the person. So the person wanting the person got more and more frustrated with HR. But the irony was it was actually them that was causing the problem. Yeah. So the solution to this was this very simple fix. And we actually used the sort of Amazon, uh, you, you know, ordering page as the example. And we basically developed a one page document where 
the recruiting person had to fill it in. And if they didn't put the details in and they press go, it didn't go. So basically yeah. we forced them to put the data in. Otherwise it wouldn't go. And, and hence the clock didn't start clicking. So we, we managed to get recruitment down below two months um, simply by doing this very simple IT fix, which, which got rid of the main root cause, which was partly due to the poor credibility of HR in the first place. Yeah. So it's a rather sort of sanguine and sorry story that where all this sort of stuff led us to, I suppose. Yeah, but it sounds like a real breakdown between the front line and HR that, you know, happens in so many organisations. But likewise, you know, how do you see Lean has evolved over the last 30 years? Yeah, well, I mean, Lean, Lean sort of has evolved in, in somewhat towards the people side. I mean, we all remember the early days of, of Lean, you know, the 80s, 90s, you know, coming out of TQM and JIT, but very much about tools and, and, and techniques and Kanban and 5S. And, you know, we, we all know the tools and techniques. And then I suppose we saw a bit of a movement <clears throat> in that early 2000s period. So there was a sort of small group of fellow researchers, I suppose, you know, people like Jeff Liker, Bob Emiliani, et cetera, who started to sort of put the spotlight more on the people sort of side of things. So that sort of came in, but I suppose most organizations didn't really focus on that. And there was a bit of a movement towards sort of systems, maybe like strategy deployment or continuous improvement system. It's probably only been the last five years that people have really started to see lean much more in terms of a culture change. And, and, and hence, you've seen a number of books and publications thinking about this sort of culture change journey. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, um, a lot of the lean folks don't really still understand much about the people side or the culture side, which is, of course, where some of the skills are sitting in the HR community. Um, unfortunately, the people in the HR community don't understand in general a lot about lean. So hence, there's a sort of mismatch. Yeah. And, and not only a mismatch, there's a mismatch of language because, you know, you go in talking about lean 5S and value stream mapping and they're talking about Ulrich stools and things. And, you know, yeah, we can't talk to each other because, yeah. you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't work. So what I found is even in some of the very best organizations or sort of Shingo winning sites, for example, you go and look at the HR department, for example, and uh, you find they've done great lean work. And you say to them, well, what have you done different than other, you know, back office like finance or purchasing or something? And, and nothing it's, it's exactly the same. You know, obviously the metrics are relevant, but, you know, the, the method is the same. And then I ask the question, well, what's your contribution? And they say, well, we've done this and this. And, and they, no, I, I, as an HR person, what's your contribution to this lead? And they sort of look at you completely blank. And, and hence the, the penny hasn't dropped that there's a major contribution in terms of this, some of this skills and competency and knowledge. And, it, you know, it just hasn't gelled at, at this yeah, point. The two are disconnected. I know we're going to get into that, the people value stream piece, Peter, because I'm really keen to get your thoughts on the path forward there. But I know you've also included agile in some of your people value stream work. Like, why is this? What What's led you to do that also, the agile piece? couple of reasons so one is um i think a lot of the lean community is still struggling a little bit with this this sort of people uh, bit and and certainly putting people at the center etc and um what I, what i found in um well a few things so one one is um thinking about people coming new 
into the organization. And the sort of Generation X and Z and, you know, millennials is their expectations from a, a job are quite different from perhaps people in their sort of 40s or 50s or, or whatever. They're expecting much more sort of instant gratification. They're expecting a much more uh, fun environment. They're, they're expecting a sort of blend of work and social. So, yeah. you know, they're expecting almost WhatsApp or Facebook or, you know, whatever it is, you know, etc. Yeah. I'm not even up with the latest, um, you know, platforms, etc. They're expecting experience to be like that. And the lean community has been really quite slow to adapt to that. Because I think the agile community, possibly because of some of the IT, you know, heritage in there, has been quicker to think about, you know, the, the needs of the people uh, to think about moving from the customer experience sort of side that's quite strong in agile to this sort of people experience or employee experience, which is quite similar to this sort of people value stream. I think what the agile community hasn't got is quite some of the knowledge of how to manage a value stream, but they've got a better starting point in terms of the needs of the people. And, and very much if you're creating parallel teams instead of the sort of hierarchy that you have in a more traditional organization, there's a heavier reliance on people and teams and, 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 and self-autonomy and team autonomy, et cetera. So, uh, so hence the needs for people and, and things like psychological safety are much higher in, in the agile world than they were for the lean world. So I think they realized it sooner and there's a, probably a greater need for it uh, in, in the agile world. So yeah. hence, you know, some of the recent uh, work, certainly in Europe, um, in the agile community, quite a bit in Scandinavia, um, has been quite strong in, in, in this sort of people, uh, people area. Yeah. Agile's been very strong throughout Scandinavia. And Peter, I also remember, you know, when I was at uni, university in the early 90s and I, was, I studied Toyota production systems, and I remember about half the course was on teamwork. You know, and then you mentioned agile and so much about agile is about that teamwork bit, isn't it? You know, high performance right, teams, yeah. teams having high team morale. That, you know, that's right. Yeah. Where, do you, where yeah. do you think, Peter, the um, <coughs> lean world didn't pick up as rapidly on that teamwork bit, do you think, with it, Peter? Have you got any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it'd be wrong to say it's not there. I mean, there are there is a little bit of work, but I think, uh, I, I suppose because... You know, Agile is is based around scrums or, you know, you know Kanban, et cetera. It's, it, it's so central um, yeah. to it. And, and there's much less focus on, obviously, the hierarchy and, you know, management-led and et cetera. Whereas Lean, I suppose, came earlier and, and hence it borrowed that management-led sort of type of approach. And although yeah. a lot is talked about bottom-up, um, the focus is probably less on the team and more on the individual. It's more about individuals contributing. Yeah. Probably less of an emphasis on on teams than in in the agile uh, agile world. I don't, which I don't think is wrong, but I don't think it's sufficient. I think you need individuals and team. Yeah, it's got one or the other. Yeah. No, well, I'm really keen to get into this people value stream piece, Peter, because I'm keen to get your thoughts on the path forward <clears> with this. So, Peter, do you mind explaining for the listeners what is the people value stream? 
Well, it's probably um, best to explain it in terms of a sort of value stream map, because obviously uh, most of the listeners probably be familiar with, with you know, the, the classic sort of uh, value stream map. Yeah. So if I explain, first of all, you know, the current state, and then we'll explain sort of the future or the ideal state. So the current state is that let's let's suppose that the, the customer for people is the team leader or the team themselves and by implication the, the business. So that so if you think of that, the customer is the, the team leader. And then if you like the equivalent of production control, if you like in, in a value stream map, would be HR. Now what, what we have traditionally with, with HR is we probably have a series of uh, functions or sub-functions within HR. So the people, certainly in larger organizations, so the people that do the recruiting differ from the induction people who differ from the learning and development and differ from the reward recognition, et cetera, et cetera. So what, what you find is that the, the, the functional problem we see in businesses is almost replicated a, a level down in terms of these sub-functions sitting in HR, which meant when you get the physical flow and the physical flow here is the individual, the, you know, the, the, the recruit. And so they come in and they get recruited maybe according to their skills or what degree have you got, et cetera, et cetera. And then they get to the induction and the induction is, is around values and culture and, you know, how it works here. And they're thinking, well, this isn't what I got recruited. It doesn't mix. And then the learning and development, they, they get taught all sorts of stuff, which they end up not using. And then yeah. they get, maybe they don't get review at the right time and da, 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 et cetera. So what you've got is you've actually in the current state you've got the optimization of these sub-functions which is a bit like the push based in a value stream map where you've you're optimizing the production of each of the different machines etc which means that from the individual it's a bit like a zigzag journey that it feels like you're being pulled from pillar to post yeah and your line manager's not really looking after you hr's not really looking after you and, and actually, it's all disconnected. And actually, the result of this is that <coughs> people are not less engaged. They're not sort of in the flow that, that we might sort of think of, the psychological flow. Um, so they're contributing less. There's less value added. And, and, and by implication, they're more likely to leave more quickly. So the end result of this is the individual doesn't get what he wants out of it. And the company doesn't get what it wants out of it. So that's my simple view. Obviously, yeah. I'm sort of slightly exaggerating to oh. make the effect. But, but Peter, I've seen it so much. You've got mm -hmm. this individual you've hired and the, the employee journey starts. And they're really, in many cases, put through a non-customer focused, you know, production flow. Well, there's not much yep. flow. It's like you go from batch yep. to batch to batch. Yeah. And the amount of yep. information they can get pushed into them in that normally web-based, sit at a computer, watch the training yeah. videos a lot of the time yeah can be yeah. really soul destroying for that new employee who is the customer or the main flow of product for this value stream we're talking about yeah i just just think about the moment of truth type stuff yeah how many employees have people or listeners how many employees have you hired or maybe yourself that don't even have a desk a computer and a phone when they arrive yeah i and, and you what does that say to the individual coming in what, what are they going to feel? They're going to feel I made a mistake. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's it. Et They're already anxious and nervous. Have I made the right <coughs> choice to start with? That's right. That's Every right. break that's and right. flow in that journey and poor experience in that journey can just amplify right. that perception. And, and hence, 
we're not really, you know, like in the traditional value stream, we're not, we're, we're looking to maximize the vertical areas. Whereas what we should be trying to do is maximize the flow. And in this case, it's the flow is the individual. Yeah. So we need to maximize the flow in terms of what is value to the customer. So what does the customer want? So if the customer is the, you know, the individual line manager or the team leader or, or the team themselves. So they want things like competencies. They want things like the right behaviors. They want things like the level of engagement. They obviously want the right number of people and they want people to have good wellness. So that's the sort of thing that we want. So we could think of sort of metrics and so forth in that area. And then if we think about the role of HR, the role of HR is much more as an enabler for this. So quite rightly, the role of managing the people and supporting developing the people should actually fit, I think, with the team and the, you know, the team leader, etc. So the sort of things that the HR should be doing is, is making sure we understand what behaviours we want in the organisation and making it clear in a way of deploying that, um, understanding the competencies that we need. And unfortunately, we focus far too much on the day job competency, whereas we should be focusing not just on that, but on the improvement competency yeah. and the culture yeah. change competencies as well. So doing that performance guidelines. So how do we, you know, uh, performance management, you know, reward, promote succession plan, et cetera. Yes, that's an important role, but it's not the annual appraisal. <clears throat> I mean, how many of the listeners here dread the annual appraisal, either yeah. doing it or having it done to them? And how many people do 90% of what they're supposed to do in the week before the appraisal or the few days afterwards, and then the rest, it just gets put in the drawer. Ah. It's fundamentally a broken system. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tick and flick exercise and, and gets lost most of the time. So, sorry, just, just a bit more. So, um, so, so hence the performance management needs to be much more coaching and development. So the coaching and development needs to be led so that HR need to do a much better job in transferring the skills and the knowledge and the competence and the need the, for the competence to the individual. And, and hence, we can then think about the flows. So the flow um, of the individual is the learning and development. How do we increase the level of knowledge and competency and confidence? The, the personal behavior, how do we improve our personal behavior? How do we improve their listening, their accountability, their recognition? of themselves and others how do we improve their ability to coach and provide social support and receive social support how do we improve their ability to create community inclusion for maybe uh, diversity or disadvantaged people etc and how do we work with them to improve the mental and physical uh, well-being so those are the sort of flows that i think we need to we need to work on and all of that is about creating these highly engaged people that will achieve, I think, maybe twice as much in terms of productivity or successful output, will feel a lot better. So it's almost like, um, it's almost like if we think of the Maslow hierarchy, many of us are familiar with, it's almost like saying, we need to take away those things at the bottom. We need to create that, that sort of um, safe environment decent pay so safety not just in terms of 
you know, wild animals type safety, <coughs> but psychological safety, so mental and physical safety. And yeah. hence, we can then work with people so that they can achieve their own goals, their own purpose um, and, and, and their own, you know, career, etc., which is their self-actualization. So if we can get to that, get rid of the bottom bits in, in Maslow as worries so we can work on the higher level then we can get people in the flow and, and produce this huge breakthrough, which I, I think the benefits of this can be as big or bigger than the whole lean stuff in the first place or agile yeah. stuff in the first place. I, I think, Peter, you're onto something amazing here because in Australia recently, uh, a number of human resource management departments have started to shift their name to people and culture departments sure. because mm-hmm. I think they realise the gap and they want to be, truly become that business partner to help an organisation you know, move forward and grow. And what you've got here, Peter, is is an approach to get together cross-functionally and I guess in a way like value stream mapping, map an employee's journey on their current state and look for constraints and look for experiential challenges and look for ways to enhance flow together and then yeah. implement yeah. that in a pool-based system because you've got the, the business pulling it, not not people in cultural HR sitting back thinking, what does the business need? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's 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 going to be a little bit of I'm not sure whether tension is right is the right word, but there's there's going to be a little bit a little bit of a matrix here because the two goals here are the goals of the organisation, which is pulled by the needs of the team, and the goals of the individual. So instead of it being the goals of HR, it's the goals of the individual. So what do I want to get out of in my career? But if you actually create these uh, uh, employee journeys, you actually do work with them at the beginning of their career. And then this is what you update maybe on a quarterly or yearly basis, et cetera. Where am I on my career journey? What was my aspiration? What do I want to achieve? What am I working on? How am I going to get there? So and and, and that may not completely align because, you know, not everyone can be the boss in the company. So maybe, you know, it's not realistic to have uh, 300 presidents in the organization so we've got to think about working with people on these aspirations but a a lot of what people want in the aspirations is a a feeling of um uh we could say uh purpose or, or something so i have contributed something to this organization um so maybe the word purpose meaning might be another word so creating meaning for me so it's not just I'm coming in to make some purchase orders, but I actually want to achieve something. I want some goals. And, and actually, a, a lot of this is about creating this intrinsic um, motivation, whereas I think traditional management has worked with extrinsic motivation and here's some bonuses, et cetera, which I don't think particularly work well. Or if it does work well, it only works for a short time. Yeah. I think the trick to creating engagement is creating the environment where you can you can you can foster this intrinsic motivation now clearly different individuals have will have different potential for intrinsic motivation and we we understand that but you know and some roles might be more difficult uh, uh, to do that but that doesn't mean to say we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't work on that and i think that's that's what we should be trying to do wow but it sounds really impressive like i can i can envisage organizations coming together cross functionally and focusing on the value stream the person goes through, mapping the employee journey and finding ways to en- enhance it. And that will ultimately drive yeah. improvement for the culture and 
improvement for the business performance. Yeah, I think, I mean, that, that's basically the, the idea of that. So there's a very small number of organizations that have started to sort of uh, think in, 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 in this way. Um, and I, I did a LinkedIn search, and actually I found one organization in the world who actually uses the term people value stream, and they actually officially managed uh, the people value stream, which is Lloyds Bank, um, uh, one big UK bank. Oh, nice. They actually are officially doing it, and it's within a, an agile program. Oh, good on them. That's awesome. So, Peter, what's next for the research? Where are you taking it now moving forward? Well, um, obviously within the people value stream, um, uh, you know, we've, we developed this overview. Um, and I'm, I'm doing a lot of work, particularly with my, my colleague, Cheryl Jaquil in, uh, in Chicago. I think you've, yeah. you've had on one of your sessions. Had Cheryl on earlier. Um, yeah. And uh, what we're looking to do is, is um, with her, with much more HR background than, than I am, we're trying to sort of fiddle with the model and actually make it a little bit more HR friendly because at the moment it's probably quite lean friendly, but a lot of the terms won't necessarily work with the HR professional. So we're trying to sort of create something that was a little bit more HR friendly. And then the next thing is, is actually going into the different elements because we now need to sort of lift the lid off and do the deep dive. So we need to go into the different flows. We need to go into the different areas of HR. We need to go into how do you create pull-based learning, et cetera. So the first of those that I'm working on is the mental and physical uh, well-being flow. Um, mm. So at the moment, doing a, a great deal of work on, on that particular flow, um, which I think is particularly apt in the current uh, COVID years. Yeah. Um, and I think it is years, not months, unfortunately, yes. where... Clearly, the you know the the mental health uh, has been highlighted as as a major issue for a lot of people, particularly younger people, etc. So so looking at how do we create that that support for that mental and physical well being, and uh, you know what what I found by looking at that is you can't split those. That actually mental issues quite often lead to physical and physical quite often lead to mental. So it's, it's actually sort of quite uh, linked together. So yeah. actually understanding that flow and, and what's quite interesting is, is doing research in that and certainly looking at literature, it takes you into all sorts of weird and wonderful places. The, you know, literatures coming out of the medical profession and ergonomics in, and um, psychology and, and so forth. And, and what, what you find from this is that these literatures, although in many cases are quite well established, are just unheard of um, in certainly the lean world and, and generally in, in the management world, because they're often seen as some little subset in a not important thing like occupational health and safety, which is often seen as some little compliance thing. As long as we do the minimum, yeah. we'll be fine without yeah. understanding that actually if you can, you know, to unlock people, create this flow, things like mental and physical health, if you don't create the right uh, support there, you won't be, you know, ticking off those bottom levels of the Maslow because you'll be those hygiene factors. If I'm coming into work and I'm feeling stressed, I'm not going to give of my best, even if I want to. So how can we find a way to reduce the stress? And if I'm stressed, I might have an accident. So it's all a sort of vicious wow. circle. Peter, it's amazing to hearing you talk there about the, the foundation element of um, 
quality and safety again, because I know you and I have spoken in the past about the foundation of quality and process and safety from an operational excellence point of view. Like, you know, without a foundation of quality and safety, you're building improvement on quicksand. But yeah. it sounds like you're finding the same from a people value stream point of view that without mental and physical safety, you know, that's a foundational element here. It, 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 I think it absolutely is. Um, so that, that's the one we're looking at first. Um, and, and obviously over time, we'll look at the other flows and the other areas. But I foresee this is uh, this is not going to be the next couple of months. This is going to be quite a long time to do yeah. this work. So, uh, but, uh, the the outcomes for people and for organisations, Peter, will be, be amazing because you're bringing together those two parts of, you know, human resources and people and also the techniques of excellence that we've known through operational excellence and other areas and agile lean for so long. Well, I, I think there's a lot in it, but um, we're, we're, time will tell, I guess, on that one. Yeah. Peter, with, we're now running um, enterprise excellence two-minute tips for those people that are time poor. For a, a leader or someone new just looking to know a bit more about people value stream, what would be the two-minute tip you'd give them on the topic? Hmm, that's an interesting one. I, I think um, probably it's the same idea that many years ago we talked about with Lean, which was uh, pin, you know, pin an order on your back and walk yourself through the system. Um, it's almost, you know, pin, pin sort of a career on your back and walk your way through the system. So, for instance, uh, pretend you're a new recruit and actually see how easy it is and see how welcoming and see whether the systems are actually in, in place. And I suppose on that, you could almost take this sort of moment of truth. So when you come in the door, when this happens, when this happens, does it just work or does it not work? So actually that sort of think about the flow, think about the new, I don't know, employee or the new graduate coming in and think what they're gonna face and, and think about that flow, which will help you to then think about this sort of employee uh, journeys and, and so forth. I suppose uh, that's the sort of thing I would focus on. That's a great two-minute tip for people value stream, Peter. Thank you for that. That, that really makes a lot of sense. It's the whole go, mm. and, go and be the journey yourself with, as that new recruit. Yeah, yeah. That would be impressive. You'd learn. Peter, what, what have, what's been something you've learned recently through this journey that you didn't know before? Like what's been a recent insight for you on this topic or other? Well, I mean, I, I suppose, you know, I, I've always known the people bit was important, but the more I get into it, the more, even more important that, that I actually find it to be, um, which is which is interesting. And, and obviously, I've learned a lot by looking at some of these different literatures and so forth. But I suppose one of the revolutions for me was this sort of link with Agile. Um, you know, we've talked about it, you know, in the past with obviously your work, et cetera. But, um, you know, looking at, some of this with something of that agile main, mindset has has certainly enlightened me in terms of some of the things that are offered by some of that community, as well as some of the gaps. You know, you, you look at it and think, why haven't you done this? And it's, yeah. it's, there's some obvious things you think they, they ought to have been working on and they haven't, which I guess, I guess for me, you know, the interesting thing is working at these, uh, working at the edges of, discipline or an area and combining others is is what i find fascinating so lean and agile lean and hr um, and you know separate to this i'm doing quite a bit of work on the other side which is looking at 
the sort of lean with uh, digitization industry 4.0 and then obviously you're coming across you know these I don't know engineers and computer scientists who well that's a whole nother and a whole nother link of languages and so forth. I just can't imagine a computer science and HR professional in the same room. That just wouldn't work at all. <laughs> Too true. But um, yeah, I suppose those are some of the areas that, uh, yeah. Oh, Peter, I, I really value it because I have to say for myself, um, the work, the epitome of work and excellence is the work you do and work of jeff sutherland like to me the two people i look up to most are yourself and jeff sutherland which is agile and then all the work you've done through people and lean and sustainable excellence peter how can sure. how can people reach out to you and learn more about the people value stream work that you're doing or other topics on you know intelligence in operational excellence and these other fields you're working on uh, well, number of ways. So one, you might want to contact me through my uh, my LinkedIn profile. I share four, but if you go to the Peter Hines with four dots at the end, that's that's the current one I'm using. Um, the other thing you can do is uh, Cheryl and I, we've created a, a website, uh, which is uh, www.peoplevaluestream.com. Um, and that, that's something we put together as a sort of not-for-profit venture which is around trying to encourage research in this area. So this could be our research or others' research, et cetera. Um, it's also about dissemination and learning in this area. So it's sort of like a, we're trying to create a sort of portal there where we can help and, and, and translate some of this learning. So, so within that, and if you go there, uh, one of the things we've done is create a, a virtual um, uh, network with this so we got people from different countries we come together once a month to share knowledge and ideas and in the future we, we, we we're going to be developing a few courses and so forth which uh, people can come along to there as well oh that's great peter well peter thank you again for everything you're doing to help us create a better future especially for employees and people we all spend so much time at work so this people value stream piece just seems amazing and i really appreciate your time and knowledge again peter great all right well nice to see you again brad and um Good luck there in uh, coming up to winter. Yeah, thank you, Peter. Talk soon. Okay. Bye for now. Bye now. The two key takeaways for me from this episode were the power of focusing on the people value stream, the employee journey, and secondly, the foundation of mental and physical wellness. The first key takeaway for me is that employees are critical to an organization's success. We focus so heavily on improving the value stream for our products and services we make but often the journey of employees making them is broken, lacks flow, delivers low value. Peter's approach with the people value stream gets an organization cross-functionally working together to make this important journey visible, identify challenges, breaks in flow, and potential experience improvement areas. Enhance your employee's journey and they will enhance your customers. The second key takeaway for me is a foundation physical and mental wellness plays for an employee's journey, which is so similar to the importance of quality and safety for an operational excellence journey. By improving the systems and culture to create a foundation of physical and mental safety, a platform is created to build and improve the rest of an employee's journey. Thanks again for your time and knowledge, Peter. Talk soon. Bye for now.